You are locked in to the show, formerly known as Locked On Badgers, now known as Locked On Duke's Mayo Bowl. It is the Duke's Mayo Bowl postgame show. Asher Lowe with you, as always. I'm the site editor at Badgers Wire, a play-by-play broadcaster for many Badger sports, including basketball and football. But most importantly, of course, I'm your host right here on the Locked On Duke's Mayo Bowl podcast, bringing you the inside student perspective filled with stats, special guests, and all things Badger Sports, listen and follow for free on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Locked On Duke's Mayo Bowl, also known as Locked On Badgers, formerly known as Locked On Badgers, the artist formerly known as Locked On Badgers, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Locked On Badgers. Haven't switched the name there yet. And at ALOW underscore 33. Joining me right now on the Duke's Mayo Bowl postgame show, after Wisconsin defeated Wake Forest 42-28 in Charlotte, North Carolina, and broke the trophy, started off down 14-0 after like seven minutes. It was a wild ride, and here to break it down with me is my guy Ben Kenny, my co-worker at Badgers Wire. Ben, welcome back to Locked on Badgers. It's been a little while, but let's do it. It's good to be back. Honestly, the game was a microcosm of the Badgers season in a way. They go down 14-0. Like, it, it was just a battle. It was a battle the whole way. Finally, stuff went their way in the second half. It needs to be mentioned that now Paul Christ, this season, when he wears a crew neck, the Badgers are 3-0. and When he does not wear a crew neck, they're 1-3. and So we're really looking at analytics going forward. That needs to be the biggest thing to take away. Analytics, 3-0 and when Paul Christ wears a crew neck. Also, that crew neck was sadly, very sadly, not doused in a drop of mayo. It was this big setup, Duke's Mayo Bowl posted on Twitter that they had a mayo champagne bath ready to go for the victor. It was in a Duke's Mayo Bowl container, and what do you know? It was, I think, water, maybe clear Gatorade, but probably water. Oh, I've, I've reported their Twitter account five times since the game ended. That was, that was one of the most heinous acts of the entire college football season. You see the Cheez-It Bowl, a bath of Cheez-Its. The... One of the other bowls I saw fries. Mayo's worse, I don't know. It was worse than Cheez-Its. I will, I mean, I will say. It was worse than Cheez-Its, but it's the level. bit. That's a different level. It's the bit. It's the reason people were watching the game. During it's the last true. minute and a half, during the last minute and a half when Wake Forest was calling the timeouts and running all the plays to make it not a three-score game, which was kind of ridiculous, by the way, it, it felt like the last two minutes in like a big Game of Thrones battle or a big drama, you know, suspense movie. Because eyes were trained on the TV. Marty Smith was recording it for three minutes, and then it was Gatorade, or it was water. Whatever it was, it was a letdown. But the game wasn't. The game was pretty wild. Back and forth, high scoring, 42 Wisconsin points. That is more points than they've scored if you combine the last, or all, all three Wisconsin losses this year. You combine the point totals from those three games, and 42 is more uh, than that. Wisconsin's offense woke up a little bit, but really the points came from the defense, from the special teams unit. Here's how we're going to break this all down. We're going to go the good, then we're going to give the bad, and then we're going to give you the mayo, which is just going to be random things about the game. You already heard a couple random things like that Twitter thing. We're going to talk about the broken trophy, how it broke, uh, hint, hint, Graham Mertz fumbling, and we're going we're gonna to get to that in the mayo side of things. We'll start with the good. We'll start with the good, and there's a lot of good in this game. Jack Sanborn, Mayo Bowl MVP with 11 tackles to lead Wisconsin's defense, a defense that forced four, four, and I say forced, and it really isn't forced. A lot of them were forced by Sam Hartman, Wake Forest's QB, but four interceptions in the second half alone 
to give Wisconsin a comfortable 28 to 14 win in the second half and a 42 to 28 win that really was 42 to 21 in reality because Wake Forest scored a touchdown with about five seconds left after a cheap timeout to end their season with a touchdown, which I, I respect it. I'd want, I'd want Wisconsin to do the same thing, I guess. Ben, where do you go first when you're talking about the good from this game? Well, you mentioned him. It's Jack Sanborn. And he won the MVP, so it's kind of a layup, so we can move by him quick. But this dude's an NFL-caliber linebacker. He showed why. 11 tackles, two tackles for loss, the interception. He's the quarterback of the defense. And while the defense really struggled at times, Wake Forest did gain a lot of yards. He was a big part in the Badgers coming up with those turnovers. But moving on now, we can look at it and, and look at the, the seniors that played well. But one of the biggest things from this game are guys that are going to be at Wisconsin for years to come that showed some flashes. And the first one to me is Devin Chandler, wide receiver. He came up with the big kick return in the second half. I believe when, the bat, when Wake Forest had just scored, gone up seven points, the Badgers get the ball back. Chandler with the big kick return really shifted the momentum. And then you saw him touch the ball one more time on the end around and during a game where the Badger skill position players didn't have that much of an impact. He, he was definitely there. And that's good to see from a true freshman. And then you can get to yours, but the other one, and I'm going to get into him in length, but it's Logan Brown, redshirt freshman, former five-star offensive tackle during the Badgers last three touchdowns. He was absolutely pancaking people on the goal line. And, and you watch an offense, you know, at the one yard line, punch the ball in, you might be watching the running back or the quarterback. But if you keep your eyes on Brown during these plays, this dude is just pushing bodies over. So he, him and Chandler were the two for me, especially from freshmen, that get me excited about you know, how they played in this game and what they'll be able to do next year. Four words, Ben, four words. Devin Chandler, instant offense. That's what he brings. Instant offense from Devin Chandler, class of 2020 recruit, and a guy that I was – just blown away by the last few weeks. Didn't even, didn't even think he'd be on our radar coming into the off season. But all of a sudden I'm thinking, you know, what are we going to see from him next year? We saw in the return game, like you said, the hype train is rolling, rolling right now for Devin Chandler. And I'm, I'm the conductor. I'm leading, I'm leading the hype train and, and I can't wait to see what he brings next year. We saw it a little bit uh, in past weeks, but we really saw it today. What he can bring with the speed on the outside, a fantastic, fantastic return where he just tiptoed the sideline and he thought he was going out of bounds around the Wisconsin 30. You blink and he's all of a sudden at the Wake Forest 30. So he, he really brought an electric spark off the pine and someone I wasn't expecting to bring one today, in all honesty. Graham Mertz was good. Ben, Graham Mertz was good. He wasn't blow you away great. He wasn't exceptional. He missed a couple easy throws, two to Jake Ferguson that stick out of my mind. Both in the red zone, both would have been touchdown passes, but two rushing touchdowns. And when I say two rushing touchdowns, I really mean two QB sneaks. Shout out Jack Cohn. Uh, two rushing touchdowns. Wait, wait, not I'm going to... Not QB sneaks, but rushing touchdowns in a game. That's why I'm shouting out Jack Cohn. It wasn't uh, something we saw from Graham Mertz, but we saw it from Jack Cohn last year where he had two games with uh, multiple rushing touchdowns. So that, that, was, that was my thought there. I know the Ohio State game, he had that nice run. Uh, that nice play design. The Michigan game obviously was his, the best run of his career. The best run a quarterback's had in a long time, but enough of Jack Cohn. I don't know how we already got, I'm not going to let us get into a three minute Jack. Cohn. I'm just not going to let it happen. I'm not going to let oh, Fine. You're not mentioning oh, the best fine. run of his career. Fine. Fine. What, what tell me you're not mentioning the best run of his career against Michigan. I said, I, I said he was Michigan. a third and 10. 
I said the oh, Michigan. Oh, I thought run. you said a game earlier in the season. Okay. No, no, no. The Michigan I, I stand corrected. Yeah. The Michigan runs. Jack Michigan Cohen, but Jack, Jack Cohen's runs were, were real runs. Those they were, they were real runs. The rushing attack, Derek Groshek was, was fine. Jalen Berger, I don't think, ever found his rhythm. And I think that was honestly more on the coaching staff than him. He, he found a rhythm early, and then they just didn't go to him for what felt like a few drives in a row. And when uh, he got the football back, it wasn't there. 15 carries, 34 yards uh, for him, a little over two yards per carry. Groshek had a little over three yards per carry, but the offense wasn't the story. The offense was not the story. We already talked about Jack Sanborn, but it goes way beyond Jack Sanborn. I'm going to give Jim Leonard more credit. How could I do that? I mean, the guy deserves all the credit in the world, but I'm going to give him more right now. And I've given him a lot this year on this show. Jim Leonard made adjustments. And this is something we haven't seen from Wisconsin's offense in the last few weeks. We haven't seen it. There's been no adjustments. Just like I'm watching the Doc Rivers Clippers, man. No adjustments. The same thing happening over and over again and no adjustments. Jim Leonard watched bad things happening over and over again on these short slant patterns that was – allowing Sam Hartman to have uh, just easy uh, completions. And, and then uh, you saw Hartman beating Wisconsin over the top to Roberson, to Green. Uh, Green's a player, by the way, a uh, wide receiver for Wake Forest. He's a young stud. He's going to be really good in the ACC for years to come. But the adjustments, uh, playing those slant patterns differently, uh, knowing they were coming, and it led to a lot more incompletions. And then Sam Hartman made some mistakes. Let's not you know, sugarcoat it totally. Uh, it wasn't just Wisconsin's defense. There was a lot of Sam Hartman bad in there with Wisconsin good. And I guess I'm skipping to the bad, but I have to kind of throw that in there with a little caveat when I say, yeah, Sam Hartman threw four picks in the second half. And that looks unbelievable. Uh, but that's, that was a team effort between Wisconsin's defense adjusting and Sam Hartman missing. Uh, it was even more the misses to me than the interceptions that were alarming. He had a couple really bad misses deep that turned into incompletions and could have been touchdowns in the second half. One to green that I'm remembering specifically where he underthrew it uh, right around midfield and green would have walked in. Yeah. His, I mean, his day ended in the first half. They scored those two touchdowns. He was pretty much perfect. And then as soon as one of their drives started, he just couldn't hit a throw. Like the wake forest wide receivers and tight ends were open the entire day, the entire day where even when he missed, it was a bad throw. And, well, you go to the second half, and obviously the Leonard adjustments, you really see that those were adjustments because it wasn't, you know, remarkable catches by the Badger defenders. The guys were just in the exact right spot. So credit to Jim Leonard. But Sam Hartman just stopped connecting with his receivers. I don't know what it was because the Badgers couldn't get much pressure on him. He had guys running free. He just stopped connecting on passes. So shout out to him because if, if he had kept going on that rhythm that he had, I really don't see the Badgers winning that game. Or if he takes care of the football, I mean, the Badger offense, they didn't have the ball very much in the second half because they were on the two-yard line every time. But the Badger offense wasn't great against a bad Wake Forest defense. It was his mistakes that really handed the Badgers the win. And, and that started in the first quarter. We'll get to the, more of this in the bad, but I want to close out the good with something that if I didn't mention this, I don't know what I'm doing on a Wisconsin Badgers podcast. I don't know what I'm doing calling myself a Wisconsin Badgers podcast host. Fullback University. Fullback University was in full effect today. Two touchdowns for John Chanel. One for Mason Stockey. Uh, that was a receiving touchdown for Stockey, and that was a great call. Great call by Joe Rudolph. A rare great call in the last few weeks uh, on first down in the red zone to get Stockey open and get him a touchdown. 
Chanel had uh, two carry or five carries for seven yards, two touchdown carries. Yeah, Ben, what were you going to say? I was going to on even though Chanel scored those touchdowns, I want to give so much credit to Mason Stocky. So he oh, yeah. obviously caught the touchdown pass, but those touchdowns, literally, you saw uh, thirty-two personnel, three running backs, two tight ends, and like the biggest bunch set you could ever see. And Stocky led Chanel in the hole. And those touchdowns, aside from Brown at left tackle, who I've talked about, those touchdowns were Stocky just clearing the way. So, so, I mean, it's fullback you. I know part of my take in other podcasts, not to shout out a competitor. They have an award for the best fullback I, I, I in college football. That part of my take is a true competitor of Locked On <laughs> I would be giving myself some unbelievable credit that I, that I don't deserve. But, yeah, go ahead. I No, but these – the Wisconsin fullbacks won – their fullback award last year. I don't know who else deserves it except for these guys. They're picking up third and ones, fourth and ones. They're lead blocking on long touchdown runs for the running backs. They're doing everything right. Once you get inside the five-yard line, it's an auto touchdown. Like these guys today, obviously the Badgers have the ball at the three. You're, you're pretty confident they're going to score a touchdown. But they were the ones that were making it happen on offense, probably the most consistently out of anyone on the unit. We'll get to the bad, and we'll get to the mayo. Just can't wait for the mayo. Can't wait to talk about the broken trophy and all the things around that. Yes, the trophy was shattered into pieces. We'll tell you how. We'll tell you why. We'll tell you what, what it ended up being, what it ended up looking like. I'll paint the picture for you on Locked On Badgers. But first, a quick message from Built Bar. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar in the game. Go to BuiltBar.com right now, and you'll see a wide variety of flavors that – it tastes like a candy bar in your mouth. I mean, it literally tastes – like candy. The best part about it, though, is that you feel like you're eating candy. Then you look at the nutrition facts. You look at the back of that label, and you see good. You don't see bad. Uh, we're getting to the bad segment, but it's all good when it comes to Built Bar. That's why I ended up finishing this good segment with Built Bar. You see 130 calories per bar, 17 grams of protein, just four grams of sugar in most of these things. I recommend caramel brownie, cherry barcia. They got some new uh, mixed flavor boxes in. Get that 18 flavor mixed box. You'll get a bunch of different variety of flavors uh, and new uh, they got, they got the new white chocolate cherry Sunday. That's in that uh, new 18 flavor mix box. The best part about it is when you order off builtbar.com and you use the code locked on L O C K E D O N all caps, no spaces locked on at builtbar.com locked on is the code. You get $20 off your next order. It doesn't even have to be your first order. Just off your next order at builtbar.com. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. The bad. There was, there was a lot of bad early, Ben. It was 14-0 in the blink of an eye. It was 14-0 after the first quarter. And just one more piece of good, by the way, I want to say, because it reminds me now that I brought up that 14-0 deficit. Yes, we, we're going we're gonna to probably harp on the offense right now in this bad segment. I want to give one more last good shout-out uh, to – and we're going to talk about Wake Forest as well, uh, to be honest, because there was a lot of bad with Sam Hartman. Uh, there was a lot of bad with Wake. But I want to give a shout-out to – a drive that I loved. 
absolutely loved, and it changed the game before any turnovers. It was late first quarter into the second quarter. It was a 14-0 game. Wisconsin had to score, had to get something going, and it was the most vintage, something we haven't seen in so long, vintage Wisconsin drive, 11 plays, 75 yards, six and a half minutes, finished off with a fullback dive. That is Wisconsin football at its finest. Mertz was great, had a, had a beautiful crossing pattern to DK uh, where he found him in stride on that drive. It was awesome to watch, and it got Wisconsin back in this game. It was the reason it was 14-all uh, at the end of the half. It was a huge, huge, huge drive. Now, now the bad. Lay it on me. You can start out. Well, on that drive quickly, it was, it was key, obviously, because they scored. But also, we talked about it a lot heading into the game. The Badgers needed to hold the ball on offense and not give this high-powered Wake Forest offense more and more possessions and more opportunities to score. So if the Badgers had come out and punted the ball again, that's when you see that game spiral. So that was huge. Last thing on Mertz, and while he is in the good category, I want to talk about a little bit of his bad because it actually makes me excited about what he's going to bring in the future. So we know that his two bad missed throws were Ferguson in the end zone and it was DK kind of in the left flat when Wake Forest brought pressure. The throws he's missing right now, now obviously some of the deep outs aren't where they need to be, but he's a freshman. But the throws he's missing aren't necessarily the really challenging ones. You know, like when you point to his performance, when you point to his performance, and unlike in the previous weeks where he struggled, he was making the throws he needed to make. He saw He found Dunn consistently, and on one of those crossers, he found DK. He found Ferguson, but the play was obviously called back. But the throws he's missing are layups, pretty much. They're, they're layups that if he just takes a little off the fastball, you know, throws a little change up, those are easy completions that throughout his career, he'll make 90% of the time. So his performance was good, but the bad is really easily correctable. Yeah, I agree with that. Because I'm thinking about the two, like I was saying in the, in the good segment, I'm thinking about the two misses that stick out to me in my head, and it's Jake Ferguson misses that were layups, absolute, literally layup line layups. And yeah, he shot him like a deep three. I mean, he just chucked it uh, right at Jake Ferguson's face. Now we're going to baseball. Similarly, we got baseball analogies, basketball. Amazing. Let's try to get like golf in here or something, hockey. Uh, for our oh, next. easily. That's, yeah, it's easy, it's easy to do for you. I'm not a golf guy. But uh, back to the matter at hand, Sam Hartman on the other side. Let's talk about some bad. I already started to talk about it. That was the worst half of football he's played in his life, uh, I would imagine that second half against Wisconsin. Jim Leonard's defense adjusted, much tighter coverage on those slants, yes, but he still missed two easy long touchdowns in the second half. Uh, He already had two in the first half, and he should have had five or six touchdown passes in this game. He lost it. And this is a guy that's only turned it over, or not turned it over, but only had one interception all year long, and he had four and a half. What in the world was going on? Oh, he, he holds the Wake Forest school record for most pass attempts without an interception. And he had one coming into this game. He throws four in a span of 12 throws, I believe, which was insane. But as I said, I mean, we talked about Mertz. Sometimes he needs to take a little bit off and just put a little touch on the pass. He was, and when he first started missing his receivers, this guy was throwing absolute bullets. And I didn't really get it because as soon as they were a little bit offline, there was no chance. And then his rhythm, just guy just uh, completely went into free fall. But what really surprised me again, was that the Badgers didn't really pressure him well at all. They didn't. And while they were getting the ball out quick, you know, you didn't see 
any of the pass rushers really getting home. When the Badger defense found success, it was shutting down the run game, you know, getting Wake Forest to third down. And then I believe Wake Forest started off, they converted the first four third down chances and they missed on the next like eight. So as soon as the Badgers got Wake Forest in the third down, Hartman just couldn't complete a pass. It was, it, it was pretty remarkable to see. And I was surprised like uh, until it really started to free fall because of how good he was at the start and how open these guys were. He had receivers running open all game. He did. He did. And Wisconsin secondary. Let's jump right to that with the bad. It started really bad. Fayon Hicks was beat real, real bad on third and 10. Uh, I believe it was that third and 10 play where Hicks was beat by, uh, by green. And then Caesar Williams, who just had uh, a tough day all around, had a really, really tough start to this one as well. 14, nothing after the blink of an eye and most of it can fall in the secondary. Oh yeah. Big time. I well, you, you saw right in the beginning, the Badger defense got Wake Forest to third downs and Hicks got beat. Williams got beat. But then even they got into the red zone. And the one thing the Badgers are great at, especially the Badger secondary is great at is tackling. And, and you saw, I forget who scored the second Wake Forest touchdown, but you saw him catch the ball at the 10, 15 yard line, break three, four tackles and get in the end zone. Well, this is really uncharacteristic. And I think you can attribute some of that to the pace that Wake Forest brought to the game. It took a little bit of getting uh, adjusted to, but still throughout the game, I mean, the, the Badger secondary just couldn't keep up and Wake Forest has talented receivers, but you saw them getting beat quickly. You saw them getting beat off the line. And if uh, we said it, if Hartman hits more throws, I mean, the Badgers aren't winning that game. Pretty sure it was Dante Burton actually on that third and 11 that got beat. Just wanted to make that clear. Not Cesar Williams. I have to watch the playback again, but I'm pretty sure that was Burton based on these, uh, these play charts here on stat broadcast that I'm staring at. The first two drives were disastrous and it was really that pace, right? That we were talking about going into the game that if you guys listen to Monday's preview with uh, Andrew Cervantes Kerwin, who works for Wake Forest and worked for Wisconsin in the past, he was saying that that's the difference, right? It's just this pace that Wisconsin's never really seen. And conversely, a pace that Wake Forest hasn't really seen with Wisconsin, this slow, methodical grind you out. He, he was talking to me about just the size of the offensive line that Wake Forest hasn't seen something like that outside of Clemson. They really haven't seen anything like that in the ACC. And Wisconsin was losing the pace battle early. It was really fast. It all happened really, really, really fast against this defense. That first drive was less than four minutes. The second one was less than two minutes. It was just bang, 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 bang. And it, it was the blink of an eye. It was, it was 14 nothing. A three and out didn't help. And I was talking about how Wisconsin had to, had to sustain drives. Um, but it was these huge pass plays. Hartman to Marin for 46 yards was the one on that uh, under two minute drive after the initial touchdown. And then I mentioned the third and 10 uh, earlier on that first drive, but the, it was a third and 10 as well with the 46 yard completion on the second drive. So that was the weird thing to me that this Wisconsin defense struggled with was getting off the field on third down, especially third and long, which is something we never really see. And oftentimes that falls in the secondary and it did on these third and longs for sure. Where else did you, where else did you see some bad on either side of the football? Well, we're going to get into Joe Rudolph and the play calling in a second. But uh, another one of the bad that you mentioned was while Logan Brown played really well, he came in midway through the second quarter at left tackle, played really well for a guy playing in his really first action. But the interior offensive line struggled at times, especially in, you know, mid-yardage situations. 
where I didn't necessarily agree with running the ball some of the times, but when they did, you saw the Wake Forest defensive line in the Badger backfield a lot more than you would have expected going into the game, especially with what you mentioned about this O-line being better than any that team has seen uh, that season. But that kind of isn't captured with the offense. Um, while there was some good, there, like there was some execution flaws at some point that allowed the Wake Forest defense, especially in the beginning, to start off hot and get their offense the ball. But Joe Rudolph. Here we go. Before we get to Joe Rudolph, by the way, I just saw a tweet from Jalen Franklin, who I wanted to shout out because he had that block. It was his block. He said, quote, today was fun, LOL. <laughs> Laughing emoji, end quote. Beautiful tweet and a beautiful guy who had a beautiful play uh, on that block punt. So shout out him. We'll throw him back in the good category. There's a lot of good. We could go on all day. But yeah, let's, let's talk about Joe Rudolph. Joe Rudolph. So I'm not even going to talk about the three, four games before this one where we can have obvious questions. Now, the team's been really banged up, really injured at key positions. Mertz has struggled. But some of the personnel and the play calling, it's, it, it just makes no sense even to anyone watching at home. They can watch the game and see, oh, yeah, it's, it's third and nine near midfield. Why are you running an outside zone to Garrett Groshek? Even if you're going to run the ball there, why don't you put Jalen Berger there? You're more explosive back. But what really what – really astounded me from this game and it had a chance to give Wake Forest the momentum in the game is the final first minute of the first half. Can I rant about this, please? Can I please rant about this? I, I'm going to go, yes. I'm going to go well, off what I haven't before about this, man. I, I, yes. So many things about it. Well, I have one thing quickly that I, I tweeted out the video of, and we're talking about the Chase Wolf interception and no knock to Chase Wolf. I, I think everybody in the Midwest knew when he threw that ball in the double coverage it was going to get picked, but I, so, so we were kind of speculating uh, right after that play when Chase Wolf had that full drive to end the half about whether Mertz got banged up uh, when he got sacked on the previous possession, you know, whether he, he couldn't come get the signals from the sideline with a minute left in the game. I, it just astounds me when the team is tied with a minute left, they're bringing in Chase Wolf, a third string quarterback, not to play, but to throw the ball deep. When you have Graham Mertz, who's A, your starter, but B, a far better deep ball thrower than Chase Wolf. So, Joe Rudolph, if you guys don't know, first of all, he's the guy that's been calling the plays for Wisconsin. He's Wisconsin's offensive coordinator uh, and a guy that started as, as really an offensive line coach, a guy that was focused on the line, has since been uh, handed the play calling duties, was calling he's a, plays. He's an amazing up. offensive line coach. Amazing. By the way. Amazing. Yeah. He shouldn't be, he shouldn't go, he shouldn't go anywhere. I, I, no. I need Joe Rudolph in this program. We just need him in a slightly different role. I mean, I think everyone can see that. Like, like it's Wisconsin football. If you, if you think of Wisconsin football's offensive line coach, no matter if you're a Wisconsin fan or not, you're probably thinking, yeah, that person's doing something right. Uh, and he is, he is an offensive line wizard. He's not a play calling wizard. And he's a guy that shouldn't have been making these decisions for most of the year. Luckily, I don't think it really mattered to me. And I, I just, I say that because of the year it was right. I don't think this team was going anywhere super special. Right. And I don't think it's all their fault. It was just a really bad year for everybody. And then of course, Wisconsin got hit with COVID at a bad time. A lot of excuses can be made. And I understand that, but back to that series before the end of the half, this was mind boggling. This was up there with two other things from this year. And this is the only two other things in this year. Number one, 
Julius Davis, who I like a lot, <laughs> against Minnesota. Julius Davis getting third his and seven. first career carry on a third and seven. I'm yelling. I'm sure my people in my house are going to get mad with me right now. At the Minnesota 37-yard line. At the Minnesota 37-yard line, we call Julius Davis's first career carry. Mind-boggling. Also running as Jack, with Jack Dunn as the lead blocker. You want it to get worse, though, Ben? I'll get it worse for you right now. Later in the Minnesota game, <laughs> Garrett Groshek looks like prime Adrian Peterson on steroids. He's marching Wisconsin down the field like it's nothing. Hot knife through butter. He rips off a 10-yard run, or about that. It's first and 10, I think, at the Minnesota 40-ish. I don't know if this is in front of me exactly, but I think it was about at the 40. Tie game, four minutes left. You have a Who's in that quarterback, Asher? Quarterback in. Third-string quarterback, Chase Wolf, because Graham Mertz went down with an injury. And we air it out in double coverage on first and 10 in a tie game with four minutes left with your third-string quarterback, it ends up being an interception in the red zone in a game where you didn't even need a touchdown in a moment where Wisconsin absolutely could have milked that clock, where Garrett Groshek ran for 150-plus yards in that game. Minnesota's the worst rushing defense in the nation. Oh, but let me make it worse for you here in the bad segment, and then we'll move on to the Mayo. Let me make it worse for you right now. First of all, as you notice today, and as you've noticed for the last few weeks, Graham Mertz, like it's 1845, is running over to the sideline like it's pre-technology and, and knowledge of, of the game, is running over to the sideline, and it's probably not his fault. I, I actually don't, I don't know quite enough to tell you it's completely not his fault. I don't think it is. It can't be, right? I mean, that has to be planned from the get-go. It's easy to, it's easy to not run over to the sideline on every single play and get a verbal call. He runs... He probably runs like a few miles during the game doing that. It tires him out, honestly, probably as well. I, I'm just imagining like he's running over to the sideline, getting every single play call. So I say that, and it leads into the fact that Chase Wolf came in. Graham Mertz was not hurt. He had his helmet on. At first, we thought he was hurt because he had uh, picked up a little knock on the previous drive, but then a QB sneaked him into the end zone. So uh, clearly he wasn't that <laughs> beat up. And he's standing on the sideline with his helmet on. He's out of the game. We don't really know why. In comes Chase Wolf with a minute 30 left. A minute 30 left yeah. in, the second half, in, the, sorry, in the first half in a tie game. Sure yeah, well, he, matter, but he came minute, in with two. He came in with two minutes left, and they obviously left. started by playing to his strength, which is running behind a tight end and a fullback. Right. Chase Wolf running, which is his strength, and handing the ball off. Okay, but it's, it's two minutes, real guys. All right, cool. Chase Wolf's not the guy you want it want throwing it downfield, not the guy you want marching you down the field, but at least he wasn't running over to the sideline on every play, or at least I didn't think he was. I, I didn't see him run over to the sideline on every single play. So maybe he knew the signals, which is just ridiculous. So maybe they brought him in uh, because he didn't actually have to run over the sideline and that therefore wastes so much time because uh, Mertz can't run a two minute drove. He's running over to the sideline every play, but you're telling me that you can't pre-plan like a scripted two-minute drill that Graham Mertz can run. I mean, I mean, even even a few plays that you just he knows the signal for automatically. I mean, why would he have to run over to the sideline? If that was the reason they took him out, I'm mind-boggled. If the reason they took him out was because it was just pure strategy, then I'm even more mind-boggled because because 
Chase Wolf can't throw the ball down the field. He can't <laughs> throw the ball down the field. And that's not his fault. That's not his strength. It's not his fault that he threw an interception on that drive. It's not his strength. What do you, you got to say, man? I, no, I just keep arguing with myself about which scenario makes yeah, why less did it sense. Happen? Yeah, why whether, did it happen? Whether they haven't prepared their starting quarterback in practice to lead a drive in two minutes, maybe even scripted, or just some way to tell him to play. Because what if it was a tie game? Are they bringing Chase Wolf in? Like, in, uh, not overtime because it's not timed, but if it's a tie game, end of the game, they need a field goal, they're not going to bring him in. So I don't know what's worse. Graham Mertz not being able to run the minute and a half, two minute drill, or Joe Rudolph looking at the clock. There were 43 seconds left. The Badgers had all three timeouts and Minnesota was in, I mean, I'm sorry, Wake Forest. I'm still on the Minnesota throw. Wake Forest is in a two deep look, literally taking away the deep middle of the field. And what does he do? He runs all of his receivers deep with a quarterback that the entire Midwest knows in that scenario should not be throwing the ball deep. I don't know what's worse. I don't know which scenario is worse. And, and the Badgers obviously didn't not suffer. To mention, ben, not to mention, they don't have a field goal kicker they trust clearly because they, they brought in Jack Van Dyke to kick a 48-yarder. So clearly Colin Larch does not have the trust uh, of Paul Chris and his staff right now. And he never has had a big leg. He's had a consistent leg from 30 yards in, but he doesn't have a big leg. There's no Zach Hintz on the team anymore. Shout out Hintz. getting his uh, doctorate trying to be a doctor now in the world of medicine. But Jack Van Dyke came in, missed a 48-yard kick. So it's not like if Chase Wolf gets you down the field a little bit, right? Because you can, you can get to the 30 uh, running the Chase Wolf package probably. You can't get in the end zone uh, with that much time left. There's no chance. What does getting to the 30 even get you uh, with this team? It's not like we have a Keith Duncan, right, like at Iowa. Crazy. Yeah, I, and, and, and the problem is, it's not, I mean, you just talked about the Minnesota game. It's not only this game. And this has been a pattern that we've seen for much of the year that like you look at some of the calls and some of the key situations and you scratch your head. Like they're in the red zone. They're, they're down in the red zone. They're the six yard line. They have a tight end that's going to the NFL who can literally out jump out muscle anybody on the field. And even if they take him away, someone else is going to be open and they run two shovel passes to Garrick Roshek to the middle of the field where the entire defense is like there, there are just some calls and it's been happening for weeks that make absolutely no sense. Even with what Wisconsin wants to do, even with who they have on the field. I like, I going into next year, it has to change going into next year. It has to change. It's the one thing that has to change. He needs to come out literally from day one and say, I am retaking the play calling duties. 100%. There doesn't need to be some major change of personnel. Uh, some in-house change of coaches, just simply that right there. And I think basically every Badger fan in the world knows it. And I'm sure Paul Chris knows it too. And I think it's going to happen. I do think it's going to happen. Uh, I just hope it does. I think it will. And I hope it does. Let's move on to the Mayo, AKA the random things. Before we do, we're going to talk about the trophy breaking, all that good stuff. That was just a, a page view dream for us beat writers. And just a lot of fun to look at and, and watch. Grammar's trying to dance and then dropping the trophy. It was, it was hilariously awesome. And then he made a new trophy. We'll tell you about it in just a sec. But let's talk about Locked On Bets, which is the place you should go right now if you don't want betting to be a guessing game. The new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling gives you daily picks, quick betting advice, and you can make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you at betonline.ag, wherever you get podcasts. BetOnline.ag is a new proud sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network. 
and they are ready to take care of everything you need in terms of the world of betting, making every game like the Super Bowl, every game interesting, every game fun. And there's some great games coming up. Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama. Uh, we heard about a uh, we heard a fantastic Clemson Ohio State preview podcast in the fourth quarter of today's Wisconsin game, and I'm sure you're excited for it if you listen to that fourth <laughs> quarter. So you can get to BetOnline.ag right now. Get over to BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all caps, no spaces, and you get a 50% welcome bonus at BetOnline.ag. Promo code LOCKEDON, BetOnline.ag, the one place that we trust here at the Locked On Podcast Network for all your gambling needs. Let's get into the mayonnaise, and we'll start with the trophy breaking. So it was a gorgeous trophy, actually, that the Duke's Mayo Bowl had. It was this, like, beautiful – it was almost like the national championship trophy a little bit. It was that kind of, like, crystal football look. And what I think it was Noah Burks in the postgame presser said is that it was on this, like, pedestal, kind of sitting on it, but it wasn't attached to it. It was, like, loose in there. So – the football part of it, that golden, or that, not golden, that like crystal football part fell out while Graham Mertz, surrounded by his teammates, was in the middle of this like hype dance circle, shaking that thing, and boom, there goes the football, fumble ruski uh, by Mr. Mertz. So what did he put on top of the pedestal? He duct taped a bottle <laughs> of Duke's mayonnaise on top of that Duke's mayo I don't even know. What the, is it, it's not a pedestal. Like, what, what is the word? Like the bottom of a trophy. I don't. I don't even know. Stand. A stand. Trophy sure. stand. Sure, like the trophy stand. He, he duct taped uh, a Duke's mail bowl, a Duke's mail bottle, and I think it was better than the original trophy. Personally, I have a couple theories about this that I, that I've been thinking about since the game ended because it all happened way too perfectly. So first of all, it it looked like, and I think part of me thinks that they did. It looks like they took the exact national championship trophy from the BCS and just put it on a new stand. Oh, because they the national championship trophy after the BCS? Is it different now? Yeah, the new one. Yeah, oh, yeah, the new one's taller. I'm, I'm asleep. Um, I was thinking, because I, I always have that one in my mind from my childhood of like, it's like that crystal ball, that crystal football. But yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the old one. Yeah. And I, first of all, I'm convinced that they took one of the old ones in the archives that they were going to use for the first year it became the playoff, took it here. And, and I think, like, I have this theory that part of it was an inside job. <laughs> and here's why. Because, like, listen, what? it's the Duke's Mayo Bowl. What? It's, hear me out. Hear oh, me out. for branding? Like, like, hear me out. Oh, God. Hear me out. Man. It's the Duke's Mayo oh, Bowl. so good. Yeah. And no shade on Duke's Mayo. I personally hate mayonnaise, so I wouldn't know if it's good. I'm sure it's a great mayonnaise. But it's the Duke's Mayo Bowl at noon Eastern on a Wednesday. You know, you don't have the nation tuned in to watch. And no knock on the teams that are playing, but they're, all, they're not the best teams in the country. So what's the best way to place the product perfectly and get every single outlet in the country to talk about your brand? You know, I, make it a little loose. You're a freaking genius. Slide a little bit under the table. I don't know why I think of this. Tell, one of the, tell the winning team to break. First of all, no one cares about, like, the glass football because it was probably from the BCS – it's a trophy, whatever. Have that break. Probably is not going to cost them that much money. Have the team duct tape a literal bottle of your mayonnaise to the new trophy. It blows up everywhere. Your product is perfectly placed. And you actually end up reaching eyeballs that you wouldn't have reached because of the fact that this game was played at noon on a Wednesday. So I have some theories about this. 
So I'm not ready to crown, you know, the, the accidental dropping just yet. Okay. I think the drop may have been accidental, but the fact that they didn't, the fact that they didn't um, like attach the football to it and knew it was going to get shaken around. I mean, that seems a little suspect. Yeah, and and I'm even like holding myself to blame. Wait, but do you think, for- okay, but do you think they like they like went to the Wisconsin team and were like and Wake Forest and was like, we want you to break the trophy in your post game celebration, or do you think that they just like designed it so it would probably break? No, they I the latter. I think they designed it so it yeah, would probably I, break, yes. and and yeah. strategically put bottles and maybe a roll of duct tape right next to that bottle of yeah, their where mayo. Where did the bottle come from? I mean, I'm sure there's some Duke's mayo there, but like just in the locker room happens to be there. Like, I that's don't, what I'm saying. Little, little, and duct tape. That's what I'm saying. So verbal yeah. meme, I'm little like, stuff. I'm, I'm at fault as much as anybody because I, I posted the meme, verbal meme, the national championship trophy, then a picture of glasses getting cleaned off with a glasses cleaner. And then the picture of the Duke mayo bottle taped on the top of the new trophy. Like I'm at fault because everybody did it. But it, it's way too, like, incidental. It's way too incidental oh, no. and it worked I, out way too perfectly. Nobody said this either. Nobody has said anything about this. I haven't seen this take anywhere, and I totally agree. Locked on Badgers exclusive. My I, mind has been running since the game. I, I completely agree with this. 100% agree with this. I think it was completely an inside job, actually. And it was genius. It was amazing marketing. It's everywhere right now. Sports Center posted it. You know, like, Barstool, like, it's absolutely everywhere, and it's just Duke's Mayo Bowl, Duke's Mayo Bowl, Duke's Mayo Bowl. Yeah, nobody's talking about a 42-28 Wisconsin win. They're, and we're, we're as much at fault as anyone. We took it and ran with it. We're like, oh, Patriots, people are going to look at this. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, people are going to love this at Badger's Wire, and, and every, every journalist is like, oh, everyone's going to love this story. It's a fun story. It's hilarious. It was planted. Do you know what it also did? And, and this is where my theory ended. Because I don't even think it's about selling the product as much as it's about – burying the fact that they filled the Gatorade cooler with water. They wanted to bury the negative publicity oh, that the no. nation would look at this bowl wow. and think that they're a joke. They were not putting that mayo. That was going to be water. This is where my take ended. Like they're like, yeah, it's going to be water. Nicole Auerbach is going to criticize us. The nation is going to say like, what the heck are you guys doing? And then we're going to, you know, have the little trophy snafu, tape a bottle of mayo to the top of the trophy and it'll blow up. Shout out to Nicole Arbach. She did an amazing job this football season. The best. She was awesome. The best. Uh, awesome. Shout out. Final shout out. Marty Smith is unbelievable. He's Him, hilarious. For, he for the hilarious. two minutes talking about Garrett Groshek's mullet, like that right. might have been the most entertaining two minutes a, of the game. He ate a chicken sandwich with Duke's mayo on it. Uh, that was, <laughs> that was I'll tell you that right now. But that, that was a lot of fun to watch. So somehow, I want, I want you to, as we close this episode out, somehow with the good, the bad, and the mayo, I think our most on topic of the three was the mayo, which was supposed to just be random stuff. But we actually only talked about Duke's mayo and this conspiracy theory, which I, I now agree with. Well, it's working even further. I know. It's literally, I'm literally part of the problem. I'm literally like, oh, it's a conspiracy, but I'm, I'm talking about it right now on this podcast. Uh, not that we're part of my take or anything, obviously. You know, we're not competitors. Uh, but, man, my mind is blown. And I'm going to end it right there. As always, on Wisconsin, the Badgers, 4-3 and three on the year, 42-28 win, and a Dukes-Mayo conspiracy broken trophy to go along with it. Ben, basketball season is upon us, and I'm sure you'll be back on the podcast soon. Yeah, a lot of fun. I'm, I'm going to check with some people about my conspiracy. It's not going to go anywhere, 
But you know what? I'll, I'll plug. Stay tuned to Badger's Wire in the next week or two. If I get new information, that is where it'll be. I, I, I'm going to like dig into this now. I'm actually going to dig into this. <laughs> I think this is, would be hilarious if it's true. And it would only help them even more if it comes out as like there was a conspiracy. Anyway, uh, as always on Wisconsin, Locked on Badgers. We'll be back tomorrow night, post-Minnesota game. It'll probably be up uh, to talk all Wisconsin basketball episode. I know we haven't gotten to the Maryland game yet. Obviously, we had the Mail Bowl coming up, uh, the Maryland upset loss. And then the Minnesota game is tomorrow uh, or probably the day of when you're, most of you listen to this on Thursday, uh, New Year's Eve. So stay tuned for our post-game breakdown of that and – Talk, going back, I'm going to go back and look at the Maryland game, look at everything Wisconsin basketball in Thursday night's episode. As always, for the third time now on Wisconsin.